So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 18 and 26, and we're going to be looking upon the reality of work here. And, and when we're talking about work, we're, we're really, we're, we're talking about um, more than just careers and jobs. We're, we're really talking about everyday tasks. Like, why do we do what we do every single day? Why go to school? Why wake up? I mean, every single thing that we do, we're, we're talking about, you know, what is it that we, what is it that we're striving after? What is the purpose behind all that, all that we're doing every single day? And in the, in the world, the world is concerned about the purpose of work as well. The purpose of why we live, why we do the things we do and, and where can we find true fulfillment in our work? Now consider, for instance, the, the, our current culture and, and, and how they talk about stay-at-home moms. Right? One of the fighting points for uh, gender equality is the perception that, that for stay-at-home, for, for women, there are more fulfilling career options out there outside of the home. And, and, and not saying whether or not pursuing career or, or pursuing being at home with raising a family and, and doing all that, whether which one is right or wrong. It, we just know that there's 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 this controversy about it and people talk about it and it all comes back down to the heart what is it that we so desire why do we toil away the way we do and and we we think about our work we think about what we do every single day and we wonder to ourselves if you guys ever think this way just why what's the meaning and purpose behind all this why go to school? Why clean the dishes? Why even bother waking up? And, and really the question we're looking at here is the meaning and purpose behind all that we do each day, or the meaning and purpose behind life. This is Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. In, in Ecclesiastes, whom I mentioned before, I, I believe this is Solomon who's writing. I, I know there's different art, different opinions about who wrote Ecclesiastes, but I, I believe it's Solomon, so I won't keep using Solomon as the author. And I believe what he has struggled with during his time, it echoes in our culture today. In, in another article, uh, not the New York Times I sent to you guys, but in another article published on The Atlantic, uh, this author, he, he speaks about the cultural shift in work uh, in these ways. And, and this is what he says. He says, in the past century, the American conception of work has shifted from jobs to careers to callings, from necessity to status to meaning. And there, there's a lot of factors of why the American culture shifted this way. Um, and there's a lot of history behind work and, 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 and what happened in the industry of America. Um, but we're not going to get into all that. We're going to look at, we're going to look upon this whole concept of what we face in our hearts when it comes to what we do. What is it that we toil away with? Why do we do it? And here in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, Solomon here shows us how these three things, this necessity, the status, the meaning that Americans are looking for in their work, that we may be looking for in our work. Solomon here and Ecclesiastes shows us that it's all vanity. It's all vanity. 
Let's go ahead and read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 18 26. I'm reading from the ESV. This is God's word. It says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must have leave I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or fool? Yet he will be master of all, for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God would has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Oh, this is quite a passage, isn't it? Like imagine when you guys graduate from college, I give you guys a card and it has this passage on there, right? It would be a great introduction to the working world for you. Now, before we get into the exposition of this passage, let me talk about Ecclesiastes chapter 2 for a little bit here. Solomon, he's, he's on a journey. And, he's, and on this journey, he's, 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 he's learning a lot. Learning a lot about this world, about himself. And as he finished wrapping up chapter 2, this section, he, he's he start, He talks about the vanity here in chapter 2, the vanity behind pleasure, wisdom, and work. And, and really what this all is, is, is the entirety of the human persona. The entirety of the human persona. In verses two, 1 to 11, we see the vanity behind our desires, right? our pleasures, and, and all that we long for. The enjoyment of, of things in this world. And then from verses 12 to 17, it's only talks about wisdom or, or our thought life, our knowledge, our, our understanding of the world and how even the wise and the foolish, they both will meet the same end. It's, they would both meet death and that too is vanity. And then in our passage, verses 18 to 23, we see then the vanity of work. In other words, our action. And in philosophy, they talk about the entire human persona being consisting of desires, thoughts, and actions. And in a way, Solomon is saying all of that we do, all that we think, all that we feel, all of it is vanity. And in each case here that Solomon here speaks of, Solomon is holding up his desires, his thoughts, his actions, in light of one in, uh, inevitable truth. And that truth is that we will die. Death lurks 
as an inevitable end for all people. No matter what you do in this world, no matter what you gain, death will come. It is the great equalizer. Death will show no partiality. It awaits every person in this world. And so death here also then is in the background of all that we're going to be speaking about in our passage tonight. So in, then in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 18 and 26, the main idea that we're going to be looking upon here is that you will wrestle with this tension. A tension between two realities of work. And as you wrestle with this tension, it will teach you how to live a faithful life for God in light of inevitable death. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking here at two realities. And the first reality we're going to be looking at is the reality of work in this fallen world. And then we'll see this in verses 18 and 23. We'll spend most of our time here. The, the reality of work in this fallen world is, I, I broke this up in two ways. First, we see the vanity, the vanity of the fruits of our labor. And that, that's, what, that's what it is in this fallen world. The Solomon here begins in verse 18. He says, I hated all my toil. I hated it. Solomon hates all his toil. And note here, this is all of it. Not, not just one aspect of work. He's not just about complaining about taking out the trash. He's not complaining about sitting in traffic. He's complaining about everything. All my toil in which I toil under the sun. And this phrase, under the sun, is repeated throughout Ecclesiastes. It's, it's a common phrase here. And the sun, the sun back then was not just this physical object we see in the sky that goes you know, from east to west. We, we see here that back then they used the sun to tell time. And so what, what we're saying here about the work that Solomon toils with under the sun He's saying, he's speaking from perspective on life as limited by time and space. In other words, he's speaking about a life apart from God, apart from the spiritual values, apart from eternity, a life that's limited within this world. Solomon here saying, I hate all my toil that I do here in this physical world. Why does he say that? He says, because, because he has to leave it for the people that will come after him. And who knows what these people will be like. And, we, and, and that's, what, that's the question that he asks here in verse 19. Who knows whether he will be, a, he will be wise or fool. And so what Solomon gains here is that he, he, he sees that whatever, whatever he may receive as a reward for his toil, that reward will be enjoyed by someone else. And, and more than that, that reward may be wasted. Whatever he might gain from his work now can suddenly just disappear, be wasted away by whoever receives it next. And it's, it's like imagine spending hours building a giant Lego set. And then you, 
you walk away, you maybe you allow your little sibling to come play with it. And what they do next in, in matters of seconds is smash it against the wall and it breaks it and breaks it all apart. Solomon here is asking, who knows? Who knows whether the man who inherit my work will be a wise man or a fool? No one knows who will come after them. You certainly don't know either. We don't know. The future is outside of your control. Right? Well, when in the corporate world, we constantly receive projects and, and they come and go all the time. And, and there may be, you, when, you, when you start working, you maybe you might be working on a project for years. And all of a sudden, a new manager may come and say, I don't want this project anymore, scraps it. And all the work you put in for years might never see the light of day. You see, there's, there's a vanity to our work. And what comes out of it is so fleeting. It's so temporary that whoever inherits your work, whoever inherits your work may, may not care about it at all. It says here in verse 19, that whoever inherits Solomon's work, he will be a master of all for which I toil. And, and, and so here again, the, the word master here, it brings back the concept of control. And, and, and throughout Ecclesiastes, it's, it's really Solomon trying to gain control of wisdom, gain control of his pleasures, control of his toil to, to try to guide it to fruition. And he finds that he can't do it. And, and here it speaks about all that Solomon does. And yet someone else will have control of the outcome. And it's similar to, say, for instance, a father working hard all his life to provide an inheritance for his children, only to see his children waste away his inheritance in, I don't know what, a matter of weeks. So then what is the purpose behind all that we work for? What is the purpose? In verse 20 and 21, Solomon looks at all this and, and he cries out. He cries out in despair. He, he says here, he gave, I, so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toils of my labor under the sun. Because, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything. Leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. The word here for everything, it's, it's a Hebrew word that's not easily translated into English. In the NASB, I believe the word is translated as legacy. In the ESV, it just says everything, the leaving everything here. And the word in Hebrew, it's, it's literally translated as portion. It's inheritance. The word is used to talk about the division of the promised land to the 12 tribes of Israel. Every tribe received a portion of the land. It's an inheritance from God. It's speaking about receiving a reward. And, and here in Ecclesiastes, Solomon constantly uses the word to talk about the reward of his labor. Right? If you turn later to chapter 5, verse 18, 
In chapter 5, verse 18, Solomon says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot, or this is his reward. This is his inheritance. But back here in chapter 2, Solomon here laments. He laments the fact that what he gains from his reward cannot be enjoyed by him. It's enjoyed by someone else who did nothing, put in no effort. And Solomon here, he's not downplaying the sacrifices of the generation before us. Right? I mean, all of us here, we, most of us here come from immigrant families. Right? And, and, and there's there's hard labor being put in those generations before us. And Solomon is not discounting what they've done. He's lamenting. He's lamenting about this work, this work that we all put in, that even our the generations before us put in, in light of death. And what he sees is that death removes our ability to enjoy the fruits of our labor. It's, it's the fact that they can enjoy, and he laments about that. And so we see here death continues to haunt us, all of us. And, and death here reigns through the, through the pages of Ecclesiastes here. And, when, and we don't like talking about death. Right? Death is something that we... We, we try to avoid as a conversation starter. I imagine going up to someone and, and just start talking about how great death is. Like that just doesn't happen. And we think about this though, death though plays a part of our life. It plays a part of our life because it's, while death, if we don't like to talk about it, it's still all around us. I mean, just, Imagine culturally how different cultures deal with death. In China, the Chinese word for four, right? It sounds that the letter four sounds so much like death that that the people would do anything to avoid that number. It's just there's a superstition around it. Or you think about our culture in America, um, this past decade, where we we have this concept right amongst the young people where where we have to make the most of our lives now, right? It's the YOLO life. And, and even though this doesn't face the reality of death, it, it does speak about how we think about death, that, that we see our life in light of what we can get now because death awaits us. David Gibson, David Gibson, an author uh, who, who wrote a book called Living Life Backwards about, uh, and it's about Ecclesiastes. He says this, he says, death is the one ultimate certainty that we erase from our minds and busy ourselves to avoid facing. But what we see here in Ecclesiastes is that death is inevitable. And, and God has ways of reminding us about that. I think about the pandemic that we're in right now and, and how when the pandemic hit us, when the coronavirus became novel, the fear of death entered 
the mind of society. And, and, and even though we may debate about how seriously deadly the virus truly is, the virus has brought the conversation of death back into the minds of the people. Or think about the wildfires that the West Coast has been suffering this past month or so. And we think about the fires, how in an instant businesses and houses that stood for decades were burnt down in matters of seconds. Death here, death here is a painful reality to consider and, and God has ways to remind us that our time here is temporary. That, that everything in this world will face its end. And so we see here then that, that what we have to gain from all our work will indeed be ultimately in vain. Ultimately in vain. The, the, the second part of the reality of work in this fallen world is the vanity of the process of work. And perhaps we might think to ourselves that, you know, if we can't gain anything from our work, if what we gain is, un is unfulfilling, not satisfactory, then maybe I'll make work itself my joy and satisfaction, right? Maybe, I, maybe the work should, can be my joy. And this is, this is the, the, the mentality that we read in the New York Times article. Right? And this, this is the mentality that, that my generation grew up with. Um, part of it is because we love watching someone like Kobe Bryant, who really valued the effort and the labor that, we, that you put into your craft. Look here at what Solomon has to say. He says here that even work itself is unfulfilling. Look at verse 22 and 23. Solomon writes, What has a man from all his toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrows, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. I mean, Solomon here, he presents a reality of work in this world and, and that everything about it, what we gain, the process of work itself, nothing about work is fulfilling. All of his vanity. There's this unhappiness, this this, 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 this tension, anxiety that exists in our work. It's unsettling, it's tiring, it's restless. And what we truly long for is peace. What we find in work is only toil. And this is what we see, right, in, in our culture. This is what we see right now in our culture today. And even if you're even if you don't face that right now, since you know many of you guys are still in college, it is out there, and and and, and my generation who probably values all this stuff, they're gonna be your managers, and this is the kind of expectations they they will have from you guys. Everyone is hustling and bustling to find their dream job nowadays, and, and the argument is that the. The opinion is that if you cannot find your identity at your current job, then the advice given is that you should go find a new one. 
Because if you cannot find joy in your career, then you're doing something wrong. That's what people say. And I'll quote you today. The problem is this. The problem is that our work should never fulfill us. That's what scripture teaches us. You know, we, we, we wake up every day, we eat breakfast, we go to work, we come home, watch some TV, sleep, rinse, repeat. For you guys in school, you guys have your own schedules and, and every single week looks about the same. Week after week, month after month, 20 years may pass by and we can hear Solomon's words here echo. This too is vanity. The, the stark reality is that every job is just a job and no one can truly find their satisfaction in their careers. In, in the New York Times article that we read together, right, it, it ended with this, what I find really sad quote where she writes, if we're doomed to toil away until we die, we may as well pretend to like it. Now, the, now the point of all of this, the point of all of this is not that work itself is bad. We'll, we'll, I'll cover that in a moment. That the problem that we, that we have to recognize that scripture is trying to teach us is that our hearts long for fulfillment and satisfaction. Our hearts long for peace and rest. Our hearts want to find its everlasting joy. And these are biblical realities that's mentioned throughout scripture. And we're, we were created for something more than work. We were created to worship God. And so when we replace then God with the idol of work, we begin to look upon what we do each and every single day. When we look upon our careers, our jobs, our exercise routines, we look upon our hobbies. Even when you look upon your ministry at church, we begin to look to all these things for our satisfaction. We will be, we, will, we just won't find it. We will be utterly disappointed. Look at your schedules. Look at what you do every single day. Look upon your schedules and look, look at what you have planned out for the next month or so. Look at the different areas that you're involved in. Why do you do these things? Ask yourselves why. Why did you sign up for this? Why are you involved in this certain club? Why are you taking this class? Why are you even coming out here tonight on this Zoom meeting listening to some boring guy preaching at you? Why are you doing all this? What is the reason? What are you looking for? And so we see here that there's this vanity behind work. And that's the reality of work in this fallen world. That, that, this, that work is vain. That there's vanity in the fruits of our labor and there's vanity in the process of labor. What can you truly gain from your toil? And then when we reach verse 24, we will see here the second reality of work. And it's the reality of work in God's providence. In verse 24, Solomon writes, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. 
And, and this is quite, this is quite amazing. I mean, when we read verse 24, we, we, we will think Solomon is, I don't know, maybe going a little crazy here. He's contradicting himself, right? I mean, he just spent most of chapter 2 complaining how vanity has perpetuated the human mind, body, soul, in our work, in our emotions, that it's vain to eat and drink and, and, and find enjoyment. But here in verse 24, he suddenly says, there's nothing better. There's nothing better to, to do all this. This is the greatest height of human achievement. What is Solomon saying? What Solomon is doing here is what he does throughout Ecclesiastes. In our study in Ecclesiastes, we're going to encounter this many, many times. Solomon here is presenting the reality, the reality that this world that we live in right now, this world around us, it was created for our joy. And so work, food, wisdom, everything that Solomon here finds vain, they were meant to be for our good. And what's happening here is that there's a tension being built. Solomon is introducing a tension between what we experience versus what we know from God, what we know from Scripture. It is here then in this passage where God enters the scene. Right Throughout chapter 2, God never enters until now here in verse 24. Solomon attributes all joy to the hand of God. In other words, it is God who gives man the ability to enjoy their toil. Right, verse 25 says, For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? And as you read verse 24 and 25, this should bring your mind back to the Garden of Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden, back in Genesis chapter 1, God created this world. He created everything in this world, the plants, the animals. He created us. He created everything. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, he's called it good, very good. And this world here was, it's a gift from God to man for us to enjoy his goodness. And so work, even work, God has, has called man to work in the garden as stewards. We're supposed to be faithful stewards over all creation. And so what this means is that work, work was meant to be a joyful thing, a fruitful thing, a satisfying endeavor. Work was meant to point us towards God. And, e- and even after the fall, right after the fall of man and the ground was cursed, work has suddenly become hard. Even after the fall, God still wanted to bless his people. God still wanted to bless his people. He wanted to bless those who obey him, those who had faith in him. Right, we look here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26. It points to that. Solomon here writes, For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. And what we see here, what we see here is the law. 
God's law was meant to bring joy to those who obey, those who have faith in Him. But to the sinners, to those who disobey God, those who rebel against His ways, He will give them the unhappy business of gathering and collecting. They will toil away day by day, never to enjoy the fruits of their labor. And in fact, what they gain will be given to those who are indeed pleasing God. And what verse 26 here encapsulates is what God has laid out in his law to Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God lists out how he will bless those who obey him. But during the times of disobedience, he will bring upon curses. So, verse 24 or 26 here of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 tells us that this world is meant to be enjoyed. That work, food, the relationships that we have with one another, all these things were meant to be good stuff, gifts from God. And yet here in verse 26, when we read the last line here, Solomon says this also is vanity. And it's striving after wind. And, and that this one sentence that ends chapter 2, it, to be honest, when I first read it, it confused me. Now, why did Solomon end this way? Why did he end this way? And, and many commentators actually don't talk much about this line. So, so I was, as I was thinking through this, 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 is, this is what I believe Solomon is trying to get to. Solomon here, trying to show us the tension between two realities. A tension between these two realities, the reality of a fallen world and the reality of God being sovereign and king over this world. And what we see here is that the world today is not what it should be. That the world we live in today is indeed a fallen world. It's a broken world. The world that's underneath the curse of God because of sin. What we come to understand is that God created this world for good, but sin has corrupted God's good gift. Sin, sin has twisted the truth of this world. If we take this in the context of what we just read here in Ecclesiastes, God has created work for us. We are to work, and we do it out of love for God. But what sin has done is that sin has twisted that truth, and instead we abuse the gift of work. We abuse the gift of work to bring glory to our own name, and not God's name. And, and that's what sin does. It twists the truth of God, and it lies to us. And we fall for it all the time because our hearts, our hearts are weak and sinful. David Gibson again says this. He says, life in God's world is gift, not gain. That's what it was meant to be. It was meant to be a gift to us, not for our personal gain, but a gift to enjoy. And it's in light of this that we begin to see why God then cursed the world with death. And again, we come back to this subject of death because it, it's important we study through Ecclesiastes. Death is a reminder that sin's fleeting promises are a lie. Like death 
entered into this world through Adam's sin. That's what Romans 5 teaches us. And death here as Ecclesiastes, what we see, death becomes the ultimate interpreter of life. It reveals to us the vanity behind everything in this fallen world. Death shows us just how fragile life truly is, how fleeting our pleasures can be, how temporary our successes are. Death brings clarity to how truly fallen this world has become. But death also helps us enjoy God's gift of life. Because death reminds us that we have no control, no gain in anything in this world. Instead, scripture, scripture tells us that all that we do have, all that we do have now, however temporary it may be, is a gift from God. And we are to be grateful all the time. Right in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, tells us to give thanks always for everything to God the Father. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you. Quoting David Gibson again, he says, Death reorients, our, reorients us to our limitations as creatures and helps us see God's good gifts right in front of us all the time, each and every day of our lives. And so death helps us understand the realities of this life, of all that we do in this world. And while death helps us understand this, death, though, does not solve the problem. There is still indeed a tension existing in our life. How can we live in a world, in this fallen world, and enjoy God's gift? How can we do that? How can we truly enjoy what God has given us when our hearts, when who we are as sinners, as sinful creatures, we tend to twist God's gift all the time? In other words, when we know that this world and, and that we live in, the work that we have is meant to be enjoyed, but we can't, what do we do with that? What do we do with that knowledge? And I believe that's what Solomon struggled, struggled with. And I, and I would argue that Solomon, he didn't have an answer to this question. Even when you reach the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon still doesn't really know how God will ultimately resolve this tension. He just knows that something's not right. He sees God's promises on one hand, but he sees the realities of this fallen world on the other. And, 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 he's, and he's like a, a piece of wood drifting in the sea, just tossing to and fro, lost. Lost in the vanity of this world. And, but, but what we do see from Solomon in Ecclesiastes, especially as we reach the end in chapter 12, verse 14, what we do see in Ecclesiastes is that through all the uncertainties of life, Solomon still trusts God. And he says in chapter 12, verse 14, fear God and obey his commandments. God becomes his anchor in the midst of this fleeing world and us today, we still live in that tension. We still live in that tension. 
But while Solomon was kept in the dark on how God will one day redeem his promises, we on this side of the cross, we know Jesus Christ. And Christ has come into this world and he has beckoned all of us to come to him. And Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall no longer hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you see how Jesus is the fulfillment of Solomon's hope? How Jesus is the fulfillment of your hope as well? What are you working for? Turf, what are you working for? Come to realize that Jesus is indeed the longing of our souls, the longing of your soul. We need Christ. This is what matters. And in order for us to come to know Christ as our ultimate satisfaction, you must forsake this world and all of its promises. Forsake this world and its lies. Repent of your sins. And follow Christ as Lord. Submit your life to him and you will find great satisfaction in the providence of God and how you provide for you everything. You see, this world may worship their jobs. They may worship their careers and whatever notion of success and fame. But we know, we know those things will lead them nowhere. Instead for you, Christian, you who believe in Jesus Christ, who has submitted your life to him, live your life for Christ. Show the world its vanity. Preach the gospel to them. Bring them to repentance. Show them the absolute delight and treasure that you have in Christ alone. Christ. Christ redeems the meaning and purpose behind your work. So that no longer you need to look at your major no longer do you need to look at your major, your careers, your, your retirement plan as, as a way to fill your heart. No, instead, your hearts become satisfied by Christ. And when that happens, when Christ becomes the satisfaction of your heart, you then become free. Free to steward your life. Not in pursuit of fulfillment, but as a gift from God. Become free to truly worship God. Not for any personal gain, but to give Him glory because He has given you such a great gift. When you see that your work no longer, when you see your work no longer as a way to fulfill your life, you're, then your perception of your work will change and you will see that your work becomes a gift from God given to you so that you can become a witness for his glory. As we come to a close here, I want, I want to bring to light one other thing to remember. That as we face this tension here in our study in Ecclesiastes, 
you have to remember that a plan of redemption is not complete. That even now we as believers, as the church, as we live in this world, this fallen world, we still feel attention, right? We still feel discouragement, disappointment, hunger, and longing for something more. But what we have in Christ is much greater than what Solomon had. Guys, we should have greater confidence. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to end on this verse. Turn me to Romans chapter 8, looking at verse 20 and 21. And here, Paul writing, talking about creation, how, how, how creation is longing for, for the redemption of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 20, he says, For the creation was subjected to futility. In other words, creation was subjected to vanity, to meaninglessness. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hoped that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What we see here is that creation today is still subjected to futility, to this vanity that we read about in Ecclesiastes. And our natural reaction as we live in this world is to groan groan with creation we should groan this way the tension that we live in is hard you being in school is hard if you're working you're it's also difficult there is a tension that we are living in this world but there is also hope hope found in the redemption of god hope found the future heaven and earth when when god recreates everything in perfection without sin hope where we can find true joy in our work true rest in our labor true satisfaction in god so let us cling on to that hope let me pray for us Father, we thank you for this time that we were able to gather here today. Look upon your word in Ecclesiastes and, and see upon the realities of work. And, and God, work is such an important part of our lives, especially for us in college. And I, I pray, Lord, that we will come to face that tension, not to be afraid of it, but to face it with a hope in you. I pray, God, that we will come to know who you are, to know Christ, and really find our satisfaction and joy in him. And I pray for anyone who may be struggling right now, struggling with decisions for their career, with anxiety, with uncertainty, especially during this time. I pray, Lord, for their hearts, that you may reveal yourself to them as their hope and joy. Give them strength, Lord. Give them courage to face this tension in this world. And let us continue then to proclaim Christ. Let us hold on to him and, and just truly treasure him for who he is. Be with us in our discussion as we break out into our community groups again. And I pray um, that will just be a time of encouragement, a time where we lift one another up to you. 
I pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen.